Imagine a giant table set for a feast. That's my favorite image of the kingdom of God. It's a nice image for this time of year, right? It's like on point for Thanksgiving week. A whole lot of you are preparing for a big meal on Thursday, my family too. Maybe your family, like for my family, that this will be the first really big gathering of everybody together since Christmas of 2019, right? For some of us, it's been a minute since we've been able to have a big family party. I'm really excited to see my family this week, but honestly, I have to tell you, our big family parties are really not that big. I actually have a really small family. <laughs> Uh, I have one living aunt and uncle and two cousins in the whole world. That's it. That's all of us. Uh, when I was growing up, and we, ne we never did holidays really with that part of my family. So what big holiday gatherings meant for my family was our normal dinner table of the four of us plus two extra chairs for one set of grandparents. <laughs> it wasn't so big. It was small. It was cozy. But that was great. That was my family, and it was great. But I also loved that I was so lucky as a kid growing up, I... We knew a family, we were really good friends with a family that had a big family, and all of them lived in Wichita, and they sort of adopted us into their big family gatherings. So a couple times a year they would have events, and they would ask us to come over too, and these were the kind of events, maybe some of you have uh, gatherings like this every time your whole family gathers, but the kind where card tables get set up in the living room, and in the entryway, and even down in the basement, right, so that everybody can have a place to, see, to eat. These were the kind of gatherings where there was an overabundance of food and there was so much going on in the house that your parents couldn't really pay attention to what was on your plate. So if you had like three dinner rolls and no vegetables, nobody really cared. Uh, this is the kind of gathering where the kids all ran through the house and through the yard playing a dozen different games and the parents all stood in the kitchen talking forever and Nanny and Pop and Grandma D, now these were not our grandparents, but my brother and I still called them Nanny and Pop and Grandma D, they all sat in the living room watching all the commotion and giving out hugs as the kids would run by. Right? There was always enough food for everybody to be full. There was always a seat for everyone. No one was forgotten. There was plenty of time to enjoy each other's company. And I think about all the love and the fun and the deliciousness that I experienced in those big family gatherings. And then I multiply it times a million. And that's the kind of feast I imagine the kingdom of God is going to be like. How about you? Do you have an image for the kingdom of God? You have a picture in your mind of what it's like? Notice I said what it is like, not what it's going to be like. This is the tricky and the powerful thing about the kingdom of God. It's here, and it's also not yet here. It's, Jesus is not a king who's waiting for a kingdom to come someday. His kingdom is a present reality right now, but also it's not here yet in its fullness. It's not separate from us but we haven't experienced all that there is to experience of it. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus said. That's the very first thing he preached when he started preaching in Galilee after his baptism. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Jesus, he talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And when, we, when we read those phrases in the scripture, they actually mean the same thing. Kingdom of heaven just means kingdom of God. When we read Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, he didn't mean that it was up in the sky far away from us. He was simply using the word heaven because he wanted to follow Jewish custom of not saying the word God. 
You know, even today, Jews will say when they're reading along in the scriptures, they'll say the word Hashem, which means the name, instead of saying the word God. So respectful do they want to be of God's holy name. So Jesus, being respectful, he said the kingdom of heaven, but he meant the kingdom of God. And if we want to know, well, what is it like, Jesus, what is it like, this kingdom of heaven? We could look in the Gospels, like the 13th chapter of Matthew, and we see Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, or another way we could say it is God's reign in the world, God's power. Remember, he said it's like a mustard seed, which is like the tiniest of all seeds. And, and when you plant a mustard seed in the ground, it grows into like a garden shrub, like two to six feet high. But Jesus said God's reign, God's power, God's kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows so big. It's like the biggest tree that you could ever imagine. It's so big that different birds, all the different birds can find a place to put their nests. Or Jesus said God's, God's kingdom, God's reign, God's power, it's like this. It's like a guy was plowing a field and he, he stumbled upon a hidden treasure and then he buries it again and he finishes his work and he runs home and he sells his house and he sells his cars and he sells all his furniture and he sells his clothes. He sells everything he owns so he can go back and buy that field and have that treasure. Or Jesus said, God's reign, God's power, God's kingdom. It's like, it's like a merchant who searches all over the world for diamonds. And he finds this one that's flawless, that's perfect, that's the most beautiful that anyone has ever seen. And he goes home and he sells everything he has, his business, his possessions, so he can buy that one diamond. Or, Jesus said, God's reign, God's power, God's kingdom. It's like this giant wedding feast that a man prepared and he invited all his guests, but they all found reasons that they couldn't come. They were too busy. So he sent his servants out into the streets, into the alleys, and he said, round up anybody that you can find, anybody. Have them come in and enjoy the party. That's the kingdom of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God today because it is Christ the King Sunday. Now, this is actually not a terribly old liturgical celebration. It was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. That's the first time I've ever said Pope Pius XI in a sermon, but there you go. Over the years, many Protestant denominations, including our own, the United Methodist Church, have adopted this as a way to celebrate the coming reign of God as the church year ends. Next year, we're going to begin the whole story again with the season of Advent. The story starts anew. But today, we look together at this day when God's rule and God's reign will be complete. Now, Pope Pius, he actually instituted this Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, because he felt Christians were being pulled away from the kingdom of God by an increasing secularism. He saw them choosing to live in the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of God. 1925. Think about what was happening in the world in 1925. Fascism was on the rise in Europe. Communism had taken hold in Russia. People all over the world were giving their loyalty to nations, to governments, to authoritarian leaders. And the Pope wanted to remind the church that, yeah, you're a citizen of a country, but your king, your king is Jesus Christ. He has no country. He has no nation. He has no flag. 
Christ's reign and rule transcend all our national boundaries. They supersede our political systems, and that even includes our beloved democracy right here in the U.S. of A. Now, since the days of Pope Pius, we can see some improvements in the world, and we can see that a whole lot has not changed. There are new characters now doing terrible things on the world stage. But I really appreciate the Pope giving us this liturgical celebration because it continues today in 2021 to remind us that the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of God, and the one who rules over it, Christ the King, that they are fundamentally different than the political leaders and the systems that we see around us in the world. This is made crystal clear for us in this exchange that Jesus has with Pontius Pilate and the scripture that Carrie read for us today. You know, next week we're going to start thinking about baby Jesus, but for the moment we're here with grown-up Jesus who's been arrested and is standing trial before the Roman governor of Judea. He had that last supper with his disciples, then he was arrested, and then he was handed over to Pontius Pilate, handed over by the chief priests because Pilate was the one who could give out the harshest penalties, including the death penalty for crimes like treason or insurrection. And so Pilate interrogates Jesus, and there in the Gospel of John, he asks Jesus, he just flat out asks him, are you a king? Trying to understand who Jesus was, what he was about. And Jesus' answer here, it's kind of a yes and it's kind of a no. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. And, And what's the proof of that? He says, because he's not putting up an armed resistance to what's happening around him. If he would respond like the world expects, he would have raised an army. He would have called his followers to riot. He would have stormed the governor's palace. He would have asked them to fight with everything they had in order to set him free. But what did he tell them? He said, put your swords away. He said, violence isn't the way in my kingdom. He didn't mount an insurrection. He gave himself up as an act of love, and he did it to a crowd of people who didn't even understand what he was doing. Now, Pilate, he doesn't get it. And honestly, I'm not sure that we always get it either. Because Jesus' kingship and Jesus' kingdom, they don't, look, they don't look like we expect or experience power and authority to look. It's different than this world in which we live. It's not a kingdom. Christ's kingdom is not a kingdom that relies on the biggest guns or the smartest spies. Jesus' kingdom doesn't rely on being the most intimidating or the most politically savvy or the most influential or having the loudest voice. Jesus' kingdom doesn't even rely on getting the most people to vote for him. Jesus' kingdom, he's king because of of who he is and because of what he did, dying for our sakes, reconciling the world to himself. And because of that, his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Peace beyond what we can even imagine. It's a kingdom that's filled with mercy. Mercy for us, thank goodness, but also mercy for everybody in the world who needs it and comes to him. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of justice. And it's not even what we call justice here. We arrest somebody or or take somebody who's done something wrong and we we punish them or we make them pay large sums of money and we call that justice that's not what justice is in jesus kingdom 
In his kingdom, justice is when everybody has enough, when nobody hoards more than they need, when no one takes from the vulnerable, when no one abuses their power. Justice in Jesus' kingdom, that's when everybody has what they need in terms of stuff and food and love and security, when when there's no want and there's no hurt and there's no envy and there's no trauma and there's no pain. That's justice in Jesus' kingdom. Commentator Brittany Lee Wynn, she, she says it like this beautifully. She says, the kingdom of God is for all people. The throne of God favors the least and the lost. The cabinet of God is made up of those who need one another. The crown of God is a symbol of shared pain and sacrifice for others. The motorcade of God is a borrowed donkey. I like that. The platform of God invites the government to rest upon God's shoulders. The rank of God is Prince of Peace. She says, may we take time today to remember and recognize that the rule of God is love. The rule of God is love. And at the center of the kingdom of God is love. At the heart of Christ our King is love. And that is amazingly good news for us. As we remember Christ's kingdom today, it's a way for us to say that we know that God is the one who has ultimate power in the world. God is the one who's in charge. God is king. God is sovereign. God is more powerful than anything else. And God is the one who's deserving of our adoration and praise above all else forever. God is God. And nothing else, no one else can hold a candle to God's rule and God's reign in the world. There's a moment for us today to just reorient ourselves as people of faith to the one who really is Lord above all. Remembering Christ as king also means that in those moments when we get sick of this world, of its injustice, of its violence, of its pain, we know there's a different kingdom coming, one with different values, one with a different kind of king, and that gives us hope, and it gives us resilience, and it gives us strength. My question for us this morning, my challenge, the thing that I want us to take home today is simply this question, are we acting like citizens of this great kingdom of God? Are we acting like citizens of this great kingdom of God? Do we know the one who really is our king? Now, I'm not going to be terribly prescriptive to you today about how we do that about how to go around acting from day to day like a citizen of the kingdom of God. I don't think that's my job to tell you exactly what it looks like in your life. I think my job, I think that that is the job of the Holy Spirit, I'll say, to tell you what being a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like in your life. I think that's the job of the Holy Spirit. My job is to remind you that that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so be open to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Only you can know how open your heart is to the kingdom of God today, how earnestly you are seeking after it. So, it's a moment to check in with yourself. And if the answer is, Pastor Amy, I'm not even sure where to start searching for the kingdom of God. That is a great place to start. Remember those parables that I mentioned a few minutes ago? About that guy who found a treasure hidden in a field? Or the merchant who searched all over the world for diamonds until he found the one that was beyond all measure of value? That's what the kingdom of God is like. It requires a search, but when we find it, 
when we encounter God's kingdom, when we have found something whose value is beyond all else, well, we know it. We know it deep in our hearts. How do we do that search? Well, the things you know about are the tools of faith. We study the scriptures. We examine the life of Jesus. We pray. We talk to our friends in faith. We say, what do you think is God's will for this world? What do you think is God's will for my life? We search and we study and we explore. And on the days we find it, we say, oh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And we hold on to those moments of beauty and hope and peace and continue to live in this world waiting for God's kingdom to fully come. Are you still not quite sure what you're looking for? Here's a hint. Sometimes it feels like a big family feast where everybody has a seat, where everyone has enough, where the laughter and the joy at the table are almost too much to take in and sitting there at the head is our king who loves us even more than we can understand, who loves the world to the end of time. Thanks be to God. Amen.